All right, Pastor Jeff, if you will escort Young over up here and pray a prayer blessing on him, we're going to turn him and the word of God loose. Let's welcome the over boys. I wasn't leaving Corton out at all. Uh, where's Corton? Corton, come here a minute. Come up here. I just want you to know, it's, for most of you know what happened Wednesday night out at the, at it, um, at the Family Life Center. Between, between our 252 and the youth group, they had, they had kind of prepared the kids uh, to bring shoes that they would be willing to leave at the foot of the cross uh, so that, that, that the Haiti team is going to take the Haiti and uh, and wow, what a, what a what a blessing! And it, and later, two five two came up and shared with a prayer meeting group. But Court gave his shoes away Wednesday night, and uh, and, uh, and and I love this. We were we're kind of trying to guard, and, and your dad gave his shoes off. Of course, Wednesday night it was kind of spitting snow by the time. And the thing about it is, they were you know to get the full Haiti experience. Now I don't know how many times in Haiti they have to walk barefoot in the snow, but most people did. Oh, a lot of people did Wednesday night, right? And, and your dad pulled his shoes off and left them there. Court, right? He left them there and then put on another pair when we oh, left. Oh, oh no! Well, he hasn't put them on yet. He may not till, till cold weather. Get court step here. We're going. I did slip another pair on about ten o'clock or ten thirty when we were leaving. Jesus, for extra shoes. I agree with that. <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Go grab it quick, because you might not offer for long. <laughs> That's more, more Haiti money, baby. Well, it, like I said this morning, it's, I've just thoroughly enjoyed watching uh, young people, or some of them still younger, and some of them who have just grown up through the church, and then um, sharing on Sunday nights. And i um, very proud of Nate here, and uh, what he's going to share. Um, it's just uh, it's a special, special for me as a dad to, to see him up here. So uh, let's just pray for him now. Lord, uh, we thank you for the, the youth of the church. We thank you for how you're working in their lives. We thank you for just the legacy that the House of Prayer has uh, of uh, teaching the truth and uh, raising up generation after generation to follow you and to serve you. And I just thank you for, uh, just thank you that you're still doing that today, Lord. So we just... Uh, Ask God that you would speak through Nate. I ask that you would give him a boldness to share what you've laid on his heart, that you would calm his nerves. Lord, I pray that we would uh, have ears to hear what you have to teach us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, everybody. It's been a really <laughs> nice day, and as Pastor Jerry said, I wanted to wear shorts, but Mom told me I had to wear khakis and tuck my shirt in, so that didn't work out. Just for Jesus. Man. Yep, for Jesus. Um, <laughs> so, God has been showing me a lot lately, and so when Pastor Jerry asked me to speak a couple weeks ago, I was really excited to share what uh, he's been growing me with, and the verse that's really been sticking out to me so far this year is Philippians one twenty one, which says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so that's what I want to be talking about tonight. That's, I made that my motto for 2016. I want to try and live that out. And so I'm going to talk about what God's been showing me through that. 
And I want to give you a statistic to start out. In, in America, 80% of Americans uh, claim to be Christians. But less than 20% of Americans attend church on a weekly basis. And I think that of those 80% of Christians, a lot of them, to most of them, Christ is, not, is irrelevant. And they aren't really focused on living for Christ. And so I think it's important for us to be focused on living for Christ and then we can be one of those who are truly devoted to him. And Paul really embodied this statement. Um, he lived it out. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, Paul writes some of the things he's been through. And it gives some background before Paul wrote Philippians on what he's been through. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Paul's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been imprisoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's gone through all these different things for the sake of Christ, for living to Christ. And so with that in mind, I want to read uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses the end of 18 through 23. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul's been through a lot. And he would love to be in heaven with Christ. To him, that death is a great gain. But he feels it's more necessary to continue living for Christ in all that he does. I came across a quote talking about Philippians 121, which says, To live is Christ. Whatever life, time, and strength I have is Christ's. Christ is the sole object for which I live. And the quote referenced Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So whatever... I think that is something I really want to try and live out, giving whatever life, time, and strength I have for Christ, and just dedicating all that I am to live for him. For Paul, his entire life was molded around this concept of to live as Christ and to die as gain. In just about everything he did recorded in the Bible, that seems to be his goal, living for Christ. And I think we all mold our life around something. This past year, uh, I played, I had basketball from October all the way through the first two weeks of February. And so, basketball season, the schedule is set. You can't, you don't don't change that. So, our schedule had to be molded around basketball season. And Court will be the first to tell you, he would have much rather been molding his time around surviving outside, shoeless and shirtless, even in the winter, camping out in sub-zero degree weather. But he was in the gym with me, so thanks, Court. But anyway, we, I think we all tend to mold our lives around something, and that can go to an even bigger scale than just a season of basketball. It could be 
your goals in life could be work, it could be sports, family, selfishness, just doing whatever we want to do, could be money, relationships, success in life. It could, there's, a, there's an endless list. But I would just, I've been asking myself, what am I molding my life around? And it should be Christ, because to live is Christ. Spurgeon once said, To know whether acts are profitable, I must not estimate their effects on me for the hour in which I live, but for the eternity in which I am to exist. To know whether acts are profitable, I must not estimate their effects on me for the hour in which I live, but for the eternity in which I am to exist. I think all too often I tend to measure the effects of how's this going to affect me in the coming days, months, hours, minutes, but our perspective should be eternal. How is this going to affect eternity? Is it impacting for Christ? And as soon as something like basketball becomes my mold, as soon as I start taking all my free time to practice basketball moves and get better and work on my vertical so I can dunk someday like Joel... Or, you know, there's all sorts of different things. If I continue and make that my focus, and Christ starts to take a back seat, then I, basketball needs to go. Or maybe it's work. You're working all the time, or you're chasing success. And as soon as something like that becomes more important than Christ, that you need to, I need to work on my priorities and say, where this isn't right, I need to make Christ my mold. Paul didn't say to live as Christ in basketball or to live as Christ in work. He said to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I think most of you know I'm a big sports fan. And I like the Broncos and I like Peyton Manning. And so when this, the Super Bowl, when the Broncos won the Super Bowl, I was really happy. And um, Peyton Manning said he, his top four priorities are his faith, his family, his friends, and then football is fourth. And Peyton Manning might not hold quite as much weight as Paul, but I think that's a pretty good quote. And um, so, so for Peyton Manning, he said, as soon as football starts to take the place of faith, family, or friends, then he knows he's got an issue and he needs to work something out. Um, another walking example, or just now walking, is my friend Jacob. He's been on crutches the past couple months. But we played basketball together, and um, in the middle of the season, Jacob tore his meniscus, which was a major loss for our team because he's a great player, but it was also you know, disappointing for him. But Jacob's life is not molded around basketball. And if it was, and basketball was taken away, then his mold would have collapsed, and he would have been living for nothing. But Jacob's living for more than that. He's living for God. And he was able to continue on. If he would have been living just for basketball, he would have been you know, devastated. But because he was living for Christ, he was able to continue on and still have joy. Another example is, uh, has anybody read the book, The Heavenly Man? Yes. That's a good book. It's really cool. My friend Luke gave it to me for my birthday. And um, I'm a little over halfway through it. But The Heavenly Man, he, to live, for him to live was Christ. He, um, was a, he's a Chinese believer. His name is Brother Yun. And in the 70s in China, when he was in his teenage years... Um, the Chinese government had suppressed the church, gotten rid of the Bibles, and many Chinese believers or Chinese people didn't even know if the Bible still existed anywhere. They thought they were just gone. And Brother Yun's mother had been a Christian when she was young, but because of the government suppression, 
the Bibles were gone, and she hadn't even heard God's word in decades. She only knew a few scriptures. But God really showed up to Brother Yun and his family, and his dad had cancer, and God healed his dad of cancer. So they repented and accepted Jesus and started to live for him, and they secretly told all their neighbors and friends in their village, and everyone was excited about Jesus, but they didn't have any spiritual food because they didn't have God's word. And Brother Yun was like really spiritually hungry, so he only, he fasted for four months and prayed, and he would eat one bowl of steamed rice a day, and other than that, he would work, and he would fast and pray. He was so hungry for more of God. So God miraculously brought him a Bible. There were only a few Bibles left in China at that time, and God provided him a Bible, and he would read the Bible every spare minute. As soon as he was done working, if he, lunch break, you know, whatever, he would be reading his Bible. And he would memorize a chapter a day of the Bible. He was that hungry for God. To him was, to live was Christ. And for me, that's an example and something I want to attain is seeking God. Because I have, we have a countless supply of Bibles all over the place on our phones now, right here. I mean, they're everywhere. And am I that hungry for God's word? The second part of the verse, though, to die is gain. And I think Paul had an obvious meaning here that Life, life in heaven, de- death to be with Christ. There's going to be, in heaven, there's going to be no more tears, no more pain, no more fears, no more cancer, no more cr- crying for lost loved ones, no more emotional hurt, fighting, envy. It's all going to be gone, and we will be with Christ. We'll get to worship God. We'll be in the presence of everything good and pleasing. So death is a great gain, and we're all going to physically die. But Paul talks about another death, that is also a great game. And um, I've got a lot of verses I'm going to go through. You don't have to turn to them all. You'll find out I like sports a lot, and I also like to use a lot of God's word. Before the service, Mr. Craig uh, said he was getting carpal tunnel from typing all the verses in. So, <laughs> anyway, I'm, you can jot these down. I'm just going to go, go through and read them. First is um, Galatians 2.20. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ, and I, it is I, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified. And this is a theme in Paul's letters. Uh, Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In youth, we're going through the Bible. And we started at the beginning of the year. We've made it all the way to Exodus. And um, we, in the Old Testament, to, to atone for sins, you, there was sacrifices, lambs, doves. And then fast, fast forwarding to the New Testament, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life for us, life for us on the cross. And then now, as, we try, as I try and grow closer to God and be more like him, I can partake in a sacrifice of my fleshly desires. Next is uh, Galatians 5.24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh. Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. 
crucified to me and I to the world. And Jesus himself talked about it in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And going back to verse 23, when Jesus talks about, he says, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And for the Israelites at the time, the cross was an all too real depiction of Roman suppression and how the Romans would, um, if someone was convicted to die, they would die on a cross. And crucifixion is what that represented. And crucifixion, crucified, the word in Greek is to be impaled. So when this verse says to take up your cross daily and follow me, it's talking about impale your fleshly desires, impale or crucify them daily and follow Christ. And uh, to follow at that time was to be like a disciple of Christ. And in Matthew 10, I think it's 10, is it 10? Matthew ten thirty-eight. yep. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If I'm not willing to take up my cross, to impale my fleshly desires and follow Christ, to be his disciple, I'm not worthy of him. And that is, that's tough. I, you know, that, that is not something that's easy for me to do. Your fleshly desires, it's hard to overcome. But if we don't, if I don't, I'm not worthy of Christ. We're to sacrifice ourselves, deny ourselves, and take up our crucifixion daily. And our death to ourself is gain. Because we'll be gaining in our relationship with Christ. So briefly, I want to talk about a few areas where God has really been having to, I've, teaching me that I need to sacrifice my desires. One of those is relationships. And in youth, we're talking about relationships this month because it's February. And God can do a lot in relationships. Uh, for example, my parents, my, um, my mom and dad, when my dad was in college, he wore purple pants and a hot pink button-down shirt. And somehow, my mom still fell for him. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but... <laughs> so, if God can, God can work some things out. He, he has his ways, I guess. But I've been having to ask myself, have I died to my desires with relationships? And I'm 16, and so, you know, God has different standards for different people, uh, different things he asks them to do. But for me, I feel like God has... Asked me not to seek any relationships with ladies at this time, but to instead pursue relationships with him. And I have to be honest, this past year, my interests have been piqued. And um, <laughs> I do, there's, and this is a, a great godly girl, but I've had to die to my fleshly desire of pursuing a relationship and instead choose to honor God and his request of me, which is to seek him. And that's not necessarily easy. <laughs> But um, that's where that's something that God's really been working on me, and so then it could be for all of us. It could be a boyfriend or girlfriend. It could be regular friends. Could be coworkers. Um, Maybe God wants you to pursue a relationship with someone who's kind of like annoying, or it's like, oh my gosh, there's Jared. I really do not want to hang out with Jared today. But maybe God is calling you to be a friend to that person and help lift them up. And, but most importantly, I think, is 
have I put my relationship with God above all the others? And the greatest commandment, Jesus said, in Matthew 22, verses 37, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest commandment, the greatest thing I can do is to love the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my mind. The second greatest is to love my neighbor as myself, so my friends, family. And from that verse, what I gather is God is most important and other people are next. So putting my relationship with God first. Another example that is, I guess, a current issue, not maybe garnering the same media attention it was, but the refugee crisis. My fleshly desire is kind of like fear of unknown. These, are diff- these people are different. They speak a different language. They, I mean, what if terrorists managed to come through with, in the guise of refugees? Or it might be uh, a fleshly desire of revenge on groups like ISIS, which are doing terrible things to force these people from their homes. But I think what's important is what does the Bible say? And because God's word is the ultimate authority on things like this. So Matthew chapter 25. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And for those of us who went, some of us went to Clarkston uh, as a youth group in the spring, uh, Leah has been there for an extended period of time, and just, you can, they can attest, we can attest to the fact that the refugees they're, they're needy. They, these are doctors and engineers, geniuses in their countries, but they come over here and they don't speak the language and there's different barriers, troubles, and so they're working at places like chicken factories. And they're poor and they're needy. They're the least of these. And so as Christians, I think it's our job and our duty to help them out, give them, support them, visit them, encourage them. Then the story of the Good Samaritan uh, Dirk Meyer was here a couple weeks ago and he talked about this. And um, it's, I think it's a really cool story. But I'm going to just paraphrase. And you guys know, the lawyer comes to Jesus and asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells him the story of the Israelite who was beaten up by the thugs. And um, then the Levite walked, came and saw him and skirted around and went on the other side of the path the priest came and went around him and saw him and went the other side of the path. And then the Samaritan came and saw him. And I like to compare the Samaritan and the Jews. They didn't like each other. And I think it's kind of like a Georgia fan and a Georgia Tech fan. There's some like serious animosity between the two. And so we all know the Georgia Tech fan would be on the ground because the Georgia fan's never going to get beaten up. So the Georgia fan comes, the Georgia player comes by and sees this Georgia Tech guy on the ground, and he's like, I gotta help this guy. Uh, we might not like each other, but <laughs> he is, he, he needs help. So he binds his wounds, brings them to the innkeeper, he, uh, says, pays for the stay, and says, whatever you need to do, do it, and then I'll pay for the rest. 
And then in verse 36, it says, which of these three do you, uh, Luke 10, 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy, the Georgia fan. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So we're to go and help those in need, whether we like them or not, whether we're afraid of them, we are to help them. And the last fleshly tendency that I've been dealing with and want to talk about is living scared. And just thinking about, am I living scared? And I think I am all too often. I'm afraid of what humans think, human opinion, and so I back down from crucifying my fleshly desires, sacrificing my flesh, and I follow in the steps of the world. For example, I keep a tract in my wallet, and the other day, I was, this past week, I was praying for an opportunity to give the tract out to someone. And so God gave me that opportunity. And uh, I, I mean, I blew it. I just didn't give it to the person. So I was afraid, right? I was scared of human opinion, and I backed down. And maybe some of you can relate and have had similar experiences with that. But in Matthew ten twenty eight, it says, And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, the, the most this guy could have done to me is maybe laughed at me, maybe said, no, I don't want that. Maybe he was already a Christian, so he's like, why is this guy giving me a tract? I already, I'm already a Christian. It, it, maybe it could have been awkward, or it could have gone uh, not how I would have liked it, but that would have done no, me no harm. It would have been... I was measuring the effects of how it would affect me in the next few minutes compared to how it would affect eternity. And so we have no reason to be afraid. Hebrews 13.6 says, So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And what, what, can, what can human beings do to us? We've got, when God is for us, who can be against us? And... I think we should be living unashamed and unafraid. I love our missions conference theme. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, and we can only live unashamed and unafraid when we are crucifying our desires of wanting to be accepted or wanting to fit in, not be looked down at for being a Christian. When we, are, we can live unashamed and unafraid if we are molding our lives to Christ and living for Christ. An example that I like in the Bible is Moses. He... Um, He's a cool guy. He was really man of God, but he also was not perfect. And I can relate to that. So Moses was with God 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. He met with God in the tent of meeting regularly. He had more communion with God that I can tell than anyone recorded since Abraham for hundreds of years. And um, in the Bible, it's often recorded that people would fall down in fear and trembling just when they saw an angel of the Lord But Moses was said to have stood with God in the tent of meeting when God was in the form of a pillar of cloud and talked to him and intercede. So Moses would stand before God. He was, he knew God better than just about anybody at that time. But one day when Moses, uh, this is in Exodus 23, one day when Moses was praying and interceding for the Israelites, he was asking God, and he asked God, show me your glory. And when I hear that, that kind of makes me scratch my head, like, what do you mean, show me your glory? You've seen, you've been with God 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. You interact with him more than just about anybody ever. And yet you want, you want to see God's glory. And that's kind of a frightful thing because God could have been like, 
I've, been, I've given you more communion than anyone else, and yet you want, you're asking me for more. But God delights in us wanting more of him, and he's a jealous God. And so God was like, you can't see my face, because if anyone sees my face, they're going to die. But he let him see, God let Moses see his back. And Moses was, wanted so much of God, he didn't care what happened to him. For him, to live was to God, and to die was gain. And I think Paul and Moses had a good deal in common. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, Ty talked about this a couple weeks ago. It was really good. And I love this passage of scripture. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I think this is just a powerful scripture. But whatever gain Paul had, he says he counts as loss for the sake of Christ. He counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And he counts all things as loss, as rubbish, in order that he may gain Christ. And I think about the earthly possessions I have. Do I count them as garbage for the sake of gaining Christ? And he does all this just that he may know him, the power of his resurrection, may share his sufferings, and become like him in his death. I think this goes back to making Christ our mold. When we die to our flesh, sacrifice, and crucify our fleshly desires, when we maybe give up a new laptop or car we've been saving up for, because God calls us to give to missions instead. As Leah and Seth both mentioned when they spoke a couple weeks ago, it's about whatever it's going to take, not how much can I spare. Whatever it's going to take, not how much can I spare. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added up added to you. So when we're seeking God and his kingdom, the things that we need, the earthly possessions we need, God's going to give us as long as we are seeking him first. So I guess I want to challenge you as I've had to challenge myself to ask God, where am I not dying to my fleshly desires and where am I holding back? Where am I not dying to my fleshly desires and where am I holding back? And I've had to ask these questions myself. And I would challenge you to ask expectantly and willing to receive. Because I know I'm not perfect, and I'm guessing some of you aren't perfect either. And God is jealous. He wants more of us. And so when we ask him to, where am I, where am I, not, where am I holding back? Where am I not dying to my flesh, my fleshly desires? He's going to be like, yes, he wants more. And so he's going to give you an answer. As he's given me answers to show uh, that his, his love for you. So is there anything more important in, than Christ in my life that I need to sacrifice, impale, or crucify? So I want to just take a minute here and pray and just be thinking of those two questions. So let's pray. 
Lord, I just thank you for this day and for this opportunity uh, you've given me to share what you've taught, been teaching me. And I ask, Lord, that we would just be asking expectantly where we need to die to our fleshly desires and where we're holding back so that we can grow closer to you and have more communion and fellowship with you and that we would just be a light as we continue to do this and continue to grow. And thank you just for all that you've blessed us with. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. What I want to tell you is, is, as I'm sitting there uh, listening to the Lord speak through Jeff, young Jeff, and Nate, um, I just want to tell you there's not been a a better message or or a more important message preached by any pastor in any facility across the country tonight than what we've heard. And I will tell you, it's not because one of our youth groups shared it, but it's because a man of God presented the word of God in fear and in clarity. And to be a vessel that God can use. And that's you. Guys, that's all of you. That's all of you. And listen, God doesn't call each one to be a Nate over who can share God's word with clarity. But he's got a job for each one of you that's just as significant. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) And all of us. So true. And all of us. But sometimes y'all look over here and you say, y'all, yeah, I mean, you know, and when we get their age, we can do that. And we, we sit over here and we think, yeah, when I was their age, I could do that. And God says, no, you're right where you are right now. And I've got to work for each of you. Wow. I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I cannot say anything other than thank the Lord for your obedience. And encourage each of us to walk in obedience. And it's so good to have my brother Willie Coyne. He's been so sick this past week. Um, nine to death. I read the obituaries two days just to make sure that he wasn't in there. Uh, nine to death. But uh, Will... Uh, this evening, I'm going to ask you to close us in prayer. Is there anyone else has anything that you need to share or you need to say? Take what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you from the message tonight. And whatever he shows to you, walk in obedience to that.